0: Everyone else, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke 10 or follow along on the screen or your Bible app, go for it. We'll be in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, but we're going to connect that to the whole chapter. If you're new this morning, we took all of last year memorizing the Apostles' Creed together and our children learning it, and so we really don't want that to be something that we've kind of just memorized and put behind because it is so central to the unity of the church not just here, but throughout the ages and throughout the world. And so we're going to try to learn to sing it. If we find a better way to sing it, we might figure that out. But I think this will be a good way. And then this year, let's all just kind of rally around whether you're a child or adult, a single, a student, a senior, a family, to let's memorize 1 Corinthians 13, this great chapter on love, and pray that the Holy Spirit might just deeply, deeply get that not only into our heads, but into our hearts and our bones. And that will touch... In some ways even on our sermon this morning this morning we're going to talk about the power of the tension between being a follower of Jesus and in relationship with him and doing a life for Jesus that is in service or in mission this is sort of a theme that we're going to uh, uh, be around this year this of the power of tension so tension can be a bad thing right it can create conflict discontentment But tension also, in some ways, can be a good thing. Uh, Jason pointed out one time we were talking about this, like a bridge utilizes a lot of tension, right, to get people across hard times. And so you can think of tension in one or two ways. And in the life of discipleship, there are tensions we hit up against. And one of those tensions is what it means to be a person who works for Jesus, who's a servant and the one who sits at the feet of Jesus and worships Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at that. As you've got comfortable in your seats now, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we come into this time that you would help us, Lord. Help us to be present. We know that you are with us and we confess that sometimes it's really hard for us to be with you. But we ask now that your spirit would help us to to not just to be here and not just hear things, but as this word we've already sang today, to behold you. Behold you in your glory, behold you as the great disciple maker. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not going to sing to you this morning, but here are these lyrics that probably most of you know, but maybe not all of you, because we're getting older, some of us are anyway. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you, and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon, when you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me how to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away. But he smiled, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be like him. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon.
1: Little boy
0: blue and the man in the moon. Some of you know this song. When you come coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Now this is true when it comes to people in our lives. And this morning we want, to, we want to underline that, but we also want to say this can be very true when it comes to our relationship with God and our discipleship relationship with Jesus. We can miss the point of actually being with people, of being with someone. We can miss the point of presence. Because we get so wrapped up in production. There's bills to pay. I'm working for you after all. right? I'm doing it because I love you. And we can miss what the heart of love actually is. We can work so hard and miss the point of discipleship, of knowing Jesus, of knowing the church, of knowing the people that we say that we love. We talk about it being a church of of the great mandate, of the great cultural mandate of the great command and of the great commission. But if we're not careful, we can miss the great command for the great mandate and the great commission. That is, we can have a life that understands what it means to live all of life as worship and mission in our everyday lives and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. And we can be committed to be a people who want to make disciples and see our neighbors and the nations reached. And we can do it all, just as our Scripture memory verse this month says, without love, and we can miss the very point. We can actually miss the people we are saying that we are serving. There's this tension again of being with people, doing for people. Being with Jesus, doing with Jesus. But the good news is that I believe God anticipates this. That Jesus and His discipleship anticipated this. That the author of this gospel, Luke, anticipated this as he wrote this story of Jesus' life based on all the eyewitness accounts He could find and compiled these in such a way that it might be used as a disciple manual for the early church. And the good news is that God has brought this all the way to us here in Cleveland, Tennessee to learn from Jesus' encounter with these two women in this village that was Bethany, but unnamed in our text, we'll get to why. Let that build up some tension too. To learn that we have got to learn to prioritize the presence of Jesus over performance for Jesus. i want to say that again. We have to learn to prioritize the presence of Jesus over performance for Jesus. If you want a little more onto that, not to make it hard to remember, if we want to experience and grow in the peace of Jesus... ...as we live in the purposes of Jesus. So how in the world do do we do that? Well, first, we have to practice awareness... ...of our disconnect from Jesus' presence... ...while we're serving Him. We've got to be a people who can be aware of that disconnect. This disconnect happens in our text with Martha. Notice, Martha is serving Jesus... ...but Martha gets mad. Because Martha misses the point... Notice verse 38. Martha is doing something that is good. She is showing hospitality. Martha is the type of person you would want to go to her house. She welcomes Jesus. In some ways, as we read in the Gospels, there's like this sense that maybe Martha and Mary's home was a home base for Jesus. This was a place where Jesus knew, no matter how busy and hectic everything gets, this is a safe space for me. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have no... Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. But He's also got Mary and Martha's house. Right? I can go there, and Martha will welcome me. She loves an open home. She makes sure everything is attended for. That is not a bad thing. But good things can become bad things. Very quickly... We see some hints of why this is the case or how we know this is the case because the text tells us how Martha feels. Martha is anxious. And Martha is troubled. Another word for that troubled is is this sense of like not just being sad, but being angry, irritable. What Martha's doing, right? Serving, welcoming, hospitality... Not bad, but somewhere along the way, she's got anxious about it and she's got irritable and angry about it. And then there's a third one here not just anxiety and not just anger, she started to accuse. Does anybody else not see what all I'm doing? And here is where it really, you can really see the heart and now even Jesus. Now even Jesus. She's distracted. What's she distracted from? Verse 40 says she's distracted. She's distracted from the point, Jesus. She's welcomed this person into her home, but now the point has become her production and service of Jesus and not sitting in the presence of Jesus. She's not only become distracted, she's become demanding. Notice verse 40. She goes to the Lord and she says, Lord, do you not care? I mean, that takes some boldness, doesn't it? Right? In the Psalms, we see that happen a lot. But Lord, do you not care? Martha has a a narrative of what caring looks like. This is what it looks like to care. Jesus, you must not care. And so not only is she distracted and she's demanding of care, she's demanding of justice. Again, in her narrative, tell Mary to get in here and help me. I mean, it's little sister, right? Maybe. We don't know if she's younger or older, right? Maybe we do. I can't remember. Tell her to get in here and help me. This is not fair. Martha is not wrong in what she does, but in how she does it, when she does it, and why she does it. And notice who's at the center of all this. What's repeated multiple times in this text. Me, me, me. Do you not see me, Jesus? Do you not care about me, Jesus? And will you not put other people in their place? There's many things in my life that I've ruined, and here's two examples. There's many more. I can ruin playing sports with my kids real quick, and I can ruin date nights with my wife real quick. We'll just pick, pick one to go first. A date night. I don't, I don't even like thinking about date nights, right? We just do other things now, like we will go on walks together. Because a date night in my mind, what's a date night supposed to be about? A date night is supposed to be about relationship, right? And creating space to get together. And all of a sudden what somebody like me does is takes a date night and says, this has got to be the best date night, right? We've got to pick the best place to eat, We've got to, to, I've got to come up with the be, find the best website with questions to ask your wife, right? I've got to do all this. And by the end of that, if it doesn't go right, or if she does Lord help, she doesn't respond and give me the praise and engagement that I want for all of that, then all of a sudden she'll say amen to this, right, Cassie? It's like, why do we do this, right? Because you missed the point, right? The point was not about how well you perform as a husband, The point was supposed to be about presence. To the second one, playing sports with your kids. Let's go play basketball in the yard. They can say amen to this. Or let's go play football or whatever. Let's have fun. Let's be together. Oh, but there's a right way to do this. Son, you've got to keep your elbow in. You know, I I just can't sit out here and allow you to shoot like that and get that bad form. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you. And then pretty soon what was supposed to be something fun is just you can tell like everybody's frustrated and when is this going to be over with? I can do that with missional community. I I mean, I can do that with anything. And maybe you can't. What we've got to learn to do in our discipleship with Jesus, our relationship with everybody, is we just got to learn to be aware when that's happening. Be aware. Am I leaning into this Martha-type situation? I like Tim Keller said this. I'm quoting him. I'm, I got to be careful preaching this sermon. Wink, wink. But anyway, talking about Marthas. But uh, here's 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 some things he says to know if you're Martha. I have non-negotiable goals that become needs that I get anxious about. That is, we're going to do this, but this is the way that it has to be done. It's not negotiable and I get really anxious if it's not done the right way. Second one, I become irritable at incompetent people. Here's some amens out there, right? I know that I'm becoming a Martha, Tim Keller says, not me, when I start to be get irritable at incompetent people. Hey, we said we were going to do this. Am I not the only one who cares, and am I not the only one who wants to do it Right? And then the third one is, I get suspicious of God's care. If He asks me to do this, but we're not going to do it the right way, and other people are going to be incompetent, then why am I doing this? Does God even care? We have to see ourselves and be aware. Have I become distracted in the middle of this from the presence of Jesus? Am I serving out of anxiety and irritability or am I serving myself into it? And, I'm, and am I engaging in what it seems Martha is here, what some people call stinking thinking? That is, I bring an all or nothing perspective to everything. Are we going to do this right? If we're not going to do it right, I, I'm not here to do it. It's right or it's wrong. We're either going to be consistent... Or this is just a compromise thing altogether. Notice that Martha calls Jesus Lord. And then she tells Him what to do. I think we can resonate. Lord, don't you care? And tell Mary to get her act together. And Jesus is, is not a, a codependent, comfort-seeking disciple-maker. And so we see what happens next. So if we want to grow into this, then we've got to become aware, practice awareness. So grow it. practice awareness. Where am I being disconnected in the presence of Jesus in the process of serving Jesus? Next, how do we do this? We've got to practice attentiveness to the presence of Jesus. So we become aware. I'm disconnected. That means now I've got to learn to practice that presence. In the middle of servicing. Martha gets anxious and angry and accusative. What does Mary get? Mary gets joy and more because she doesn't miss the point. Notice verse 39. There's a contrast here. Martha welcomes, goes to work, gets anxious, gets angry, gets accusatory. Mary sits at the Lord's feet and listens to His teaching. What, what, I, what many commentators say here, this is not primarily a text on, about busyness. This is not about people are just too busy to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's some connections there. It's also not about personality. What it's about, it's about hospitality. But what kind of Hospitality. Where does Jesus want us to have the priority in our hospitality? And He wants us to have the priority in our hospitality in His presence. And I might add, in the presence and love of others. Mary is not lazy. Mary's just doing a different kind of work. This is what this means. There's technical language buried in this text that seems similar... That may, ...that may just seem casual. The first is when it says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet... ...this is a language of, of discipleship. Later in the book of Acts 22, it will talk about how Paul sat at Gamaliel's feet. It's, it's not just she's hanging out in the living room. She's, she's, she's focused on Jesus' presence. And notice she's also focused on His teaching... There's something important happening here, and that is discipleship. Jesus is wanting to teach her, and she is saying, this is the most important thing I could be doing right now. I could be in there making something, Jesus, really good to eat. And who knows, other people might have came along. Maybe the other disciples are there. She might have said, there's all these people here. There's all these things that need to be done. Not bad things again. But right now, Jesus has sat down, and He's began to teach and Mary chooses that and this is why Jesus says what he does in verse 41 and 42 Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary That's a bold statement in it one thing is necessary What is the one necessary thing attentiveness to the disciple making presence of Jesus that's the necessary thing for our lives. It's the necessary thing for our, for our quiet time, our devotional time, our personal communion. It's a necessary thing in our fight clubs. There's a the necessary thing in our family meals. It's a necessary thing in this Sunday gathering. is focused, attentive, submissive, listening and learning and living in the way of Jesus. One thing, hearing God's word and God's presence to obey. Focused, humble. You see, Martha has a lot of needs and demands. She needs this. What does Mary need? One thing. One thing. And this is what's so awesome here. Jesus says, and guess what's so great about this one thing? This is the one thing that can't be taken away. All that other stuff's not bad. But guess what? You're going to have to make another meal. You're going to have to clean up again. You're going to have to perform again, perform again, perform again, perform again. People can take that from you, but they can't take this away. This will be enough. In the Old Testament, this is why it's called the good portion. It was... Speaks of how the Lord is my portion. He is who feeds me. And He is who fills me. But I do, not, I do kind of wonder if Jesus is sitting here being a little tongue-in-cheek, because He can be that way, about all the portions that probably Martha is preparing. And Martha's got a lot of portions going. And He's saying, this is the real portion that feeds I was in a meeting one time discussing strategies at a, at a former church and a, and a friend that was there that was a, a child a missionary kid an MK whose family had did a ministry I can't in, in either China or Asia at some point we were talking about all these ways to, to get structures right and to, to make things flow and, and and these things are important right We want to care about those even more in our church but he just said I just I just want to bring up that I remember going and meeting in the back of a transfer truck trailer. And, and the joy of the Lord that was there. And it's humbling, isn't it? It's like, they got the one thing. The presence of Jesus being the priority of all our work and life. You see, we, Jesus wants to give us more joy and more freedom, and more fellowship, and more fullness. And we will get that and grow in that if we don't miss the point. But we have to engage this. Now some of you in here, yes, but there's things that have to be done. Who's going to get them done? We don't have time to talk about how uh, Martha's thinking isn't also that, that, that she is one way, but how also she probably thinks she's indispensable, right? Like, if I don't do this, nobody will do it. Another another thing uh, another pastor said not me but you'll notice in verse 38 we're back to why this is an unnamed village why is it an unnamed village? We know it's Bethany from the other text. Well, part of this, part of the people think, is why is that Luke has kind of rearranged where this is in the story. It doesn't mean that what he's writing is not completely and totally true. But we know that the gospel writers don't mess with the truth. But they they have compiled these things in a certain order to communicate certain points to certain contexts. And so, when Jesus heads to Bethany, he's on his way to Jerusalem. But Luke puts this text at the end of this chapter, and this is why I think this is so important, is because for any of us in here who are the types who are like, oh, finally, this is just about me sitting alone with Jesus, being contemplative, entering into mystical union with God, and that's it. We need to do less. And there's the other side of us in here saying, yeah, this all sounds well and good, but if I don't do everything, nothing will happen. Go and look at the rest of Luke chapter 10. Up to this point. We don't have it on the screen today. If you have a Bible, you can go read it all. I'm not going to read it all. But this is how this chapter begins. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where He Himself was to go. And He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest... Same chapter. There are not enough people who will go to work, Jesus is saying. I want you to pray that more people will actually go and live a life on mission. And then he sends them out. And not only does he send them out with that purpose and with that prayer, then he gives them very specific plans for that. Carry no money bag, no knapsack. When you enter a house, say peace to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will remain on him. If there's not peace given, then then shake the dust off your feet and go to another house. So what is there? There's a big passion for seeing people reached and working hard. There's very specific plans for how that should be done and is to be done. And then we see there's praise that it is done. They come back in verse 17. The 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. There's praise for going and doing this work of mission. But then verse 20, Nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your name. it's, It's not like you're on a list. Who you are. Your identity. Your security. Don't put that in the work Don't put that in the doing. It's got to be done. But it's not the good portion. It's not the good portion. And then guess what comes next in Luke chapter 10? The parable of the good Samaritan. Right? Isn't Isn't that the sermon, the text we'd be using to do the other one that's like, hey, let's go, people. Let's notice what needs to be done. Let's sacrifice. Let's spend Let's serve. Yes. But imagine how ironic this could be. Martha is in there grumbling. She's slamming cabinets because nobody's paying attention. Banging pots. Somebody see me doing the work, right? Y'all are in there enjoying it. Must be nice, but somebody's got to do this. But imagine this. What if Jesus is teaching Mary what he just taught, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's possible. And Martha is in there thinking she's the good Samaritan. But guess who she is? She's the priest and the Levite. She's missing the point of the presence of God and others because she's got to serve God. This is going to look different for all of us in this room, but we have got to wrestle with this if we do not want to end up being angry, anxious, accusative disciples. But it will happen if we miss the presence of the Lord. And one way that we can grow in this is something that our our leaders learned the other night uh, from from a friend, Steve Hall, who's been here before. Rachel, if you can go to that last slide. You can't see that. I know you can't see that. But... uh, I wasn't planning to do this till Friday night, but just unapologetically stealing it from him. This is something called a soul health plan. If you want to learn more about it, you can come talk to me. We're going to figure out a way to share these digitally. It's just basically, I'm going to figure out a way that my life this year can be focused on the presence of Jesus in a way that's not legalistic, in a way that's not cookie cutter, But that I could set some goals for each day, a daily goal, a weekly goal, a monthly goal, an annual goal, and not just a goal, but but really more practices. To learn to sit at His feet. Some of us in here might think this, again, is a a text that's about a personality. It's not about a personality. It's not about a cookie-cutter discipleship. Again, it's about a priority of where we will put our focus as we live on this mission. We've got to set these times. It's not either I do this alone or I do it along the way. It's a both and. But I think that we can find, if we will take the time to think about this, we have the time. I was going to have you all do that this this, this morning. I'm not going to do it right now. But I've mentioned this times before. Just go to your settings, if you have an iPhone at least. I don't know if it's like that on Android. and, And it will show you how much time you spend on your phone every week. Uh, John Popper said, if social media is good for anything, one thing it will be, this will sound super judgy and legalistic, but anyway, you can take it how you want to. If anything on the last day, no one will be able to say that my prayerlessness was due to a lack of time. And God has so graciously used Apple's developers to show us how much time we look at our phones. And it will tell you how much time you spend on each app. And you might, in Just come before that, and you might say, how how might I tweak some of that, those minutes, to sit in the Lord's presence and ask him to lead me along the way? And as we do that alone, then we bring that into our other practices as a church. If you want to get the most out of your fight club, your missional community times, if you want to get out the most of this Sunday gathering, don't look to somebody else. Look to Jesus show up in all of these environments saying how can I be fully present to Jesus and fully present to the people in front of me Be aware am I becoming anxious about something being done right am I becoming irritable at incompetent people am I becoming accusative of God's care of others Talk to him about that What do you want me to see what do you want me to learn So we practice awareness, we practice attentiveness. and the last thing as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is we've got to practice acceptance. That Jesus accepts us in our mixed motive serving of Him. Where do we see this in the text? Notice verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. This repeating of the name was was a way of showing care and endearment. It wasn't like, Martha, shut up. It was, Martha, Martha, I care. I don't love Mary more than you. This is, this is not, we sing Sandra McCracken's song. She has a great article on this if you want to go look it up. She, she says, God is not calling Martha to be Mary, to become Mary or a Mary. Jesus wants Martha to be free. Some of you may be having feelings right now, and you need to see that Jesus really loves Martha. He sees her bondage as anxiety and unrighteous anger and self-justified accusation and how distracted she is by it. Also, we need to consider a bug in Martha's system that the text talks about here in ways that we might miss, and that is maybe Martha is thinking Mary should be in here serving with me because we don't deserve to be sitting at His feet like that, because we're women. You can go and study the backdrop of this if you want, but in this ancient Near Eastern structure of even the home, at certain times there would be a place, this is where the the women congregate, this is where the men congregate. The women are back here doing the work, while the men are in here in this setting, sitting, talking, discussing. And, and, And again, many people think this is the case on all the spectrum. This isn't like a conservative moderate liberal thing if you're thinking that already. This is just just kind of a thing. You don't got to take it where all the places some people might, is that this is what Mary did is she just walked right in there and sat down like she's a disciple. Like she's one of the apostles. Like she's just right in the middle of it all. So some people think Martha's like, tell her to get in here where she's supposed to be. And Jesus says Mary chose the right thing. She's sitting at my feet like Paul said at Gamaliel's feet. He not only allows it, he praises it. There's nothing wrong with working in the kitchen. Somebody's got to do it, right? we got to eat. But wherever you're serving, in your home, in your family, in your life, in your church, in your MC... Are you serving there because you think Jesus expects that? Or are you serving there because you expect that? you getting your expectations mixed up with Jesus' expectations? Jesus wants Martha to experience the freedom that Mary is experiencing here. He did not live his life and die on the cross and rise from the dead to secure your name in heaven so that now you act like you're just stuck ...without getting to be close to Jesus? What does Jesus say to His disciples in John chapter 15? I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Abide in me. Whatever your gifts, whatever your personality... ...whatever your gender, whatever your ethnicity... ...whatever your past, whatever your story... ...Jesus wants you to be His friend, disciple. He wants you to sit at His feet and to listen and learn... Imagine a slave and a child that grew up in a, in a household with the slaves out in the field doing all the work that he has to do. And the child is of the, of the, of the own master's family is setting and learning, uh, ed, being educated. And one day the, the master walks out and says to the slave child, my child chose the better portion. What's the slave going to say? That's mean, right? Like, I don't have a choice. This is who I am. That is not how God is. You are the freed children of God. But maybe there's still this like slave mindset in us where it's like, Jesus doesn't want me that close. Jesus doesn't want to teach... Maybe He wants to teach you how to go back and cook better. I don't know. But if you are anxious and angry and accusative, then that is not the voice of God. So insert your name into this text. Two times. If it was me, rusty, rusty, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. The song, Cats in the Cradle, ends this way. Well, he came home from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? And he shook his head and said with a smile, Well, I'd really like to, Dad, but I just want to borrow the keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man in the Moon. To the next verse. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle. The kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Now here's the good news once again as we come to the table our time is not up jesus is here and he's going with you today he's here at this table with us and he's saying i love you i want you i don't care your past i don't care your personality i don't i don't care i want you I want to be with you. I'm not calling you just to prioritize my presence. I want you to know I've prioritized your presence. And I want you to make disciples who do that. Because if you disciple people out of anxiety and anger, then you will produce disciples who are just anxious and angry that I have come to set you free. But to have this freedom, we must prioritize the presence of Jesus over performance for Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you meet us here. We confess there are many, many ways that, that your word can be wrongly understood and applied. And so we ask now, Holy Spirit, you would make the correctives in our heart as only you can. Send us back to your word as we need to. But as we come to the table, we pray now that we would come with hearts open to the freedom as we see how much you pursued us in the blood and the bread. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.